Turn with me in God's word to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 18 through 26 will be our focus this morning. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 18 through 26 will be speaking on the subject, Behold the Incomparable God. The incomparable God. We've been focusing upon God and his greatness for the last few Sundays. And Isaiah will continue to do that even in our passage here today. And there's a goal. There's a purpose in doing this. And we'll see that next week. The purpose of God revealing himself to us is that we might be strengthened to continue to walk the Christian walk regardless of what difficulty we may encounter. In order to do that, we need to know how great God is and how insignificant everything else is. That nothing competes with him. That nothing rivals his reign. Whatever he chooses to do, he does. And that means if he loves us, nothing. We know that from uh, uh, Romans chapter 8. Nothing will separate us from his love in Christ. And this is what Isaiah is getting at. We, we have to have a great view of God in order to be able to live for him in this wicked world we live in. And this is, this is God's, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. This is God's mercy to us. God doesn't have to do this. This is his mercy to us as his people. So Isaiah chapter 40. Verses 18 through 26 will be our focus. There's three thoughts that I want to uh, point out about God and that the fact that we can't compare anything to him. Uh, verses 18 through 20 said we'll look at this point. He cannot be compared to any likeness. Verses 21 through 24, he has sovereign control over the world. Verses 20. 5 through 26, he shepherds the created universe. Here again is God's word. Let us look together at God's truth given to strengthen us. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman, crafts it, a cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits on uh, sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. 
who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted. Scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they weather and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? Now God speaks that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings, who he who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Hallelujah. This is God's holy word. As you know, and as you even seen in the passage that has been read before you, God reveals himself to us in his word. Your this this knowledge that God reveals himself, the purpose of him giving us his word, knowledge about himself from his word is that it might inform and motivate our worship. That we might worship him, that we might glorify him, that we may enjoy him. But there is an issue we all face. I face it. You face it. Because God is is great. He is beyond uh, anything that we can imagine. Uh, with, With that reality, with that truth, we have to say that irregardless of the knowledge that we have of God, our view of God is still too small. Your vision of God is too small. No matter how much of God's word you may know, how accurate your theology may be, you still do not know God fully as he is. You'll never be able to know God fully because he is so great. He is great. And and, and on top of that, not only do we not know God as as uh, in his greatness, uh, reality is no man can see God and live. Uh, God has to reveal himself to us and, and he does it in a way, piece by piece, bit by bit, where we can, we, we, we can understand the, uh, him in, in light of our circumstances and our situations. But on top of the challenge of our growing in our knowledge of God, the world is trying to conform us. The world is trying to conform us to think like the world. Uh, To to get you to see yourself, your problems, your situations, everything in your life, the, the, the world is trying to get you to see all things through its lens. That's what we're filled with anxiety. We often fill with worry. And, and oftentimes we talk world language when we talk about our, 
our problems, our struggles. Our, we talk as the world talks rather than as the people of God, the people who know a great God. And so Isaiah, one of the pro approaches Isaiah has been using to elevate, to help elevate the people of Judah and our thoughts of God is to do a contrast. To, 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 it, it's, it's so simple. A child can read this and understand. A child can read uh, the, the, these, these, this section of scripture and come to an understanding that it is God who is the only one who is able to do all that Isaiah lists here. A child can understand. So Isaiah is, is, is using uh, a, a method of, of getting us to think, getting us challenging our thinking. He, he brings several rhetorical questions. We saw that last week and figures of, of speech describing God's greatness to get us to think, to get us to get us out of our laziness. To make us think about God. That's the only way we're going to be able to grow in our knowledge of God is to think about him intentionally. Intentionally. People can't people can't give it to you. Got to be intentional in no, getting to know God. And so he challenges the people of God. He challenges us. And why does he take this approach? Because. It is in God give and C.S. Lewis said this. It is in God giving us, and I'm paraphrasing what he said. It is in God giving us the when God gives us the knowledge of Himself, He is giving us Himself. He is giving Him. He's not hope. He when when you read the Scripture about all all that God is, His character, His attributes, that He is holy, that He is righteous, that He is compassionate, that He is loving, that He is just. All of this is God giving Himself to us so that we may worship Him. This is God's mercy to us to give us the knowledge of Himself so that we may be biblical in our thinking. We may be God-centered. We may have a God-centered worldview. And for the people of God, the people of God were being challenged by their presence in the pagan nations. They were being, being challenged or being tempted to put trust in man. These are the two things that Isaiah deals with in this passage. The, they put their trust in men and they put their trust in idols. And we're the same. We put our trust in men, put trust in ourselves. And John had to warn us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, beloved children, keep yourselves from idols. So we are, even as New Testament believers, are able to uh, erect idols, idols in our minds. And what is, why is this so important? To deal with trusting in men, trusting in idols, or particularly to idols, idols dishonor God. Uh, God. Boyce said that making idols dishonor God. He says, first, it obscures his glory. 
for uh, nothing visible can ever adequately represent it, represent God's glory. Second, it misleads. It's, it misleads those who would worship God. God's people, you think of the, uh, at the foot of the mountain when the, the people got Aaron to make them a golden calf. That gold, the fact that they had that golden calf was, it was misleading because it wasn't God. It, it, it offends God. It, it misleads God's people. Uh, idolatry offends God because it breaks his first commandment and his second commandments. Exodus 20, verses 3 through, uh, three through 5, you shall, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. That's listen that language. That's worship language. You shall not bow down to them and serve them. For I am for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. When you give your trust, your allegiance, your hope to anything more than God, that's an idol. That's an idol. And God is offended because idolatry distracts you from devotion to him. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah calls it evil. Jeremiah 2 and 11. When you forsake God and you make for your, he, he uses the analogy of, of of making a cistern to provide water for thirst. He says it is evil to forsake God and to, to, to make a, a, a cistern, a broken cistern that can hold no water. To get from that what God provides. Only God provides. And so the greatness of God is necessary. The knowledge of God is necessary because the greatness of God rebukes idolatry. It rebukes idolatry. Israel worshiping idols and giving allegiance to the nation. Uh, uh, Isaiah will, will come against that and show the greatness of God. Show the greatness of God over creation. Show the greatness of God over the rulers of the nation. They are nothing before him. They're insignificant before him. And, 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 and as we do this, and as we will understand God and his greatness, we'll see how foolish it is to turn away from God to something else. So let's look at the text here this morning. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18 is where we were we starting. And see this thought, he cannot be compared to any likeness. Verse Number 18, to whom then, to whom then will you liken God? If God is great in glory, power, and honor, if God is the one who will come to deliver his people, Israel, from Babylonian captivity, if it is God who will be compassionate to his people, he will forgive their sins, despite their continual rebellion. If, 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 if God is, is, is that great, 
what the question is what creature can bear a likeness to him i mean to whom then will you liken god who will you compare god to he go or what likeness compare him what what discernible shape is like god something what's a reference point something you can point at and say oh there's god what what reference point do you use to to determine who god is What 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 likeness? What who or what can be aligned with Yahweh? You can stand it next to God who is unseen. We can't see God. But the question is, who is it? What is it that you can take and stand next to God and compare it with God as an equal? The answer? Nothing. Nothing. God is God alone. God is 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 spirit. God is infinitely greater than we can imagine. He saves. He delivers. He sent the Savior in Christ. He sent the Holy Spirit to indwell in us. And no nation can do that. No person can do that. God saves. He sanctifies. He gives peace and joy. No one can do that. No one can do that for you. Your friends can't do it. Your spouse can't do it. Your job can't do it. Only God can be God. That's what the writer is saying. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare to him? What about your problem? Is it bigger than God? Can you, is there some way that you can put your problem and your circumstances, your struggles, your suffering? Is there some kind of way that is so big that it can be compared with God? Negative. No. No way. Absolutely not. God is greater in every way than people, nations, our problems, even the way we think. He's greater than that. To whom will you like? You can't. There's nothing. Look at verse 19. And this is where God is merciful. He not only reveals the knowledge of himself, but he reveals the folly, the folly of moving away from him and, 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 and making idols. Look at verse 19. And, and here we'll see, that just think of the idea before an idol is worshipped, right? It has to be created. It has to be imagined and crafted. Before it is worshipped, it has to be made. Look at verse 19. It says, an idol, a, a craftsman cra uh, cast it, 
a carpenter or perhaps a, a, a person who works with metal. He creates an image from metal. And notice carefully that the creation of an idol is attributed to man. It's important to note that. It is a man who casts it. How can a man who God creates create God? A child can understand that. That can't happen. People often try to trip, they'll trip you up when you're out doing evangelism. They'll try to trip you up and say, who created God? Don't try to answer that question. Because no one, God is the, God is not created. God is being. He exists. Don't let nobody trip you up with that kind of question. God is self-existent. He is independent. He is eternal. We are finite. God is infinite in being. We're finite. So how can a man who is created create the creator? Mind blowing. Turn to Isaiah. I mean, as you were, uh, Psalm 90. Psalm 90. God is self-existent. He is eternal. He, he exists in a, in a realm that is unfamiliar to us because we exist in time. We exist in space. God just, God exists. He has been. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, notice, you are God. God has always been God. He has always existed. We were created. We are created. Beings turn to Acts chapter 17, verse 24. Acts 17, verse 24 reads, The God, this is Paul addressing Arachibus, uh, uh, verse 24. Uh, he said, the God who made the world and everything in it, notice, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands. As though, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries, boundaries of their existence, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet 
He is actually not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. God is beyond our thinking because he is the creator and we're the creatures. He created us. Can you give the process of God creating you? Can, can you? can you walk us through how it is that God designed the complexity of your body? You can't do that. Because you're the creature. You're not the creator. And how dare a person says that they can create the creator. God is, and, and notice it says an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver, uh, for its silver chains. Use gold that, that God has created on the earth. The, the rich, this is a rich man's idol, gold and silver. God is more infinite. He is infinitely more valuable than a rich man's idol. Don't, don't look to that. He's also greater. God is greater than a poor man's idol. So you got two idols here. The rich man and poor man. Look at verse 20. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. Now, we got to read this. Let's turn, turn to Isaiah chapter 44. Just a couple pages over. We got to read this. Isaiah chapter 44. It's, we, we'll get the thought here. And we're going to read verses 6 through 20. Isaiah 44. The folly of idolatry is the title, subtitle section here in my Bible. Verse number six, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. It doesn't matter. People can create idols. They're not gods. Who is like me? God says, let him proclaim. It. Let him declare and set it before me. I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Let go before God and, and tell him of what is going to happen in the future. Verse eight, fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Verse nine, all who fashion idols are nothing and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses nor uh, neither see nor know that they might be put to shame. 
who fashions a God or cast an idol that is profitable for nothing. Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with, uh, with a hammer and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a, a compass. He shapes it into a figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and let it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes God. All of this. God gives all of this. Then he then it becomes fuel for, for a man. He burns it. And he takes part of the wood that he burns. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a God and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. From the wood that he uses to bake and to warm himself. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Ah, I'm warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to worship it. He prays to it and, and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not. Talking about the idols, they do not discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts, uh, so that they cannot understand. Talking about, as you were talking about the people, God give He's given them over, and He has closed their eyes so that they will not understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say half of it is burned. They don't. They cannot comprehend the foolishness of what they're doing. Half of it is burned in the fire, and I also break. Bread on his coals. I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall make the rest of it an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart, a deceived heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Idolatry deceived. It is deceptive. And guess who allows a person, uh, a, a pagan, to be deceived by it? God. God. But for us as believers, he comes with the truth of himself. That's the difference in between a pagan and a believer. God leaves them in their foolishness, Romans chapter 1. But for us, God is merciful. He gives us the truth about God is loving himself. When you hear the truth about him proclaimed, he's loving you. 
He's being compassionate to you. He is caring for you if you're a believer. He's feeding you. That's what he's doing. Look at verse. Look at verse number 21. And this is the this this God is challenging these believers. He's going to show that he has sovereign control. He's not like like an idol. He has sovereign control. God is a, a, a being. He he acts. Verse 21 of Isaiah 40. He asked the question, do you not know? He, he, he appeals to the he appeals to these saints to, to think upon the knowledge of God that they already know. Do you not know the implication is you do know this? God has worked in, in their hearts. These, these, these people that, that this is being written to will be the, the remnant, or the elect. And, and for us, whose heart has been changed, God is saying to us, do you not know? God has worked in your heart by his spirit so that you may know him. Do you not know? Do you not hear? You mean there is somebody teaching and preaching to you the truth. Do you not hear it? God has opened. He said God has opened their ears. Do you not hear it? God has sent his prophets to them. Has it not been told to you or told you from the beginning? God has given his children eyes to see, ears to hear, to comprehend. He says, have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? This is basic theology. This is what we're going over is basic theology. You know this. You've heard this. This has been proclaimed to you. You have understood this. If you're a believer, you read your word. If you're sitting on the faithful preaching and teaching, no doubt you know this. This is theology one-on-one. This is the beginning course. You know this, he said. Unlike the idols, God is the creator. He created everything and he sovereignly controls everything. Look at verse 22. It says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. If you go back and read Revelation chapter four, I want to challenge you to do something. Go back. And read chapter four, Revelation, and underline every time throne is used. Because that is the emphasis. The throne is the focus. And the throne, it, it says here, he who sits above the circle of the earth, saying that, that it is God who, 
who is sitting on the edge of the the uh, our atmosphere. We know that, uh, that that God is everywhere, but this is just this is a figure that uh, a figure of speech that we can understand. It's, it's, it's as if God sits on the edge of the atmosphere, and He's watching over the earth. And what is He doing? He He sits there, and this shows that He has the power, the right, and the authority to rule over all the creatures on the earth. He sits on the circle of the earth and he rules, he reigns, he governs. And, and it goes on and says, and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers. <laughs> Implying the distance between the creator and the creature. The, the inhabitants are like grasshoppers. You, you go out then during the summer, you saw those grasshoppers out in the yard. I mean, they was everywhere this year. You know, locusts, whatever you want to call them, uh, all over the place, jumping everywhere. We, our dog loves the summer because uh, she, she's, matter of fact, she's crazy now because of grasshoppers. Grasshoppers everywhere. She chased you, chasing grasshoppers all over the yard. They was everywhere. And it says here, said the inhabitants God sits on the circle of the earth and this and this is this is metaphorical language the inhabitants are like grasshoppers that they're just you look at grasshoppers you're like what are they doing you know like there's no purpose but God knows God governs God God even governs the grasshoppers and it says it goes on say who stretches out the heaven like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in the, the inhabitants of the earth, and uh, it, it is those over whom God is, God is seated above those whom he created. And they're like little bugs. And this means something, uh, this reveals something by God, that his sovereign rule extends to all men. Great men, mighty men, poor men. Men of different races, women, children, God, sovereign, rule, the creatures, the, the, the animals, God, sovereign, rule extends over all. Most importantly, to include the rulers of the earth. Now, I told you at the beginning, God is dealing with two things that the people struggle with idols. And uh, 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 get trusting in men, making alliances with the nations. And here it says, God is the sovereign ruler over the 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 the, the men of the nations. During uh, during the t during this time, there were rulers, there were princes, prince and and judges ruling the people. But look at verse twenty three, and notice what it says. These are talking about the rulers of the people during this time. Verse 23, who brings to nothing and make the rulers of the earth as emptiness. National leaders. Whatever statue they are, whatever position they hold. Wherever they are. God is ruling over them. 
and their plans are insignificant because there's a bigger plan that is being worked out in the world. They make laws. They may have pride in their achievements and their conquests, but they don't have any power. They don't have any power to change the course of history. They, they don't have the power to affect the, uh, the, the, the world in which God created. Climate change. Foolish. They, they can come up with all of these laws and try to achieve things but they're nothing before our God. And this is why trusting in men is vain. Trusting in nations is vain. Because they are here today, gone tomorrow. Their laws that they enact are here today, gone tomorrow. God brings them to nothing. Their names are forgotten. You have to go read a book in order to know who the world leaders of the past are. Because if we didn't have books, we would forget them. They're, they're nothing, the president. They serve a purpose, don't get me wrong. God has given them the authority and placed them in leadership, but don't put your trust in them. Look at verse 24. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has, has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither. Meaning God brings judgment, they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Alexander the Great, Rome, Great Persian Empire, Babylon. Where are those empires now? Where are their rulers? They don't exist. They only exist in the pages of history. Scarcely are they planted. Scarcely are they sown. And, 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 and notice, once again, God is using language that, that we can understand. He's already used this type of language in verses 6 and 7. But it's not hard for God to remove a leader. You know, we complained when we got leaders in office that, you know, may be doing things that are dishonest. But if God wanted to get rid of that leader, he could. You may have a boss. Let's make it, let's, you know, let's get to where you are. You may have a boss who you work for, who may be dishonest, who may be selfish, who, 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 who may be causing an, uh, all types of disruption at, uh, at, at, at the workforce. All God needs to do is just breathe on them. And he can remove them. 
But if he hasn't removed them, he has purpose for them. He has a purpose. Because God can do whatever he wants. The kings, uh, uh, Daniel 2 and 21 says this. He changed, talking about God, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Matter of fact, a good example of this would be King Cyrus. Turn to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 45, as you were, Isaiah 45. Talking about King Cyrus, a pagan king who God was used to deliver his people. As a matter of fact, look back one verse, Isaiah 44, verse 28. Who says to Cyrus, he is my shepherd. This is God talking about a pagan king. And he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying to Jerusalem, she shall be built and of the temple. Your foundation shall be laid. Chapter 45, verse one. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him. The gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you treasures of darkness and hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord God, the, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob, Jacob and Israel, my chosen. I called you by your name. Talking about a pagan king. Why did God call a pagan king? Why did God equip him and strengthen him to do what he did for the nation of Israel? God did it for his people. For the benefit of his people. I called you by your name. I named you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not, uh, though you do not know me. That people may know. Reason from the rising of the sun and from the west and uh, that there is no none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Isaiah is, he's, he's preparing those in Babylonian captivity to come out of captivity by giving them the knowledge of the absolute sovereignty of God. That's what he's doing. This, this is what he has been doing. All power belongs to him. All people are subject to him. All creation is controlled by him. 
and, and, and for the people of God and for us as well. There is nothing nor anyone we need to fear. If God is who he says he is, we do not need to fear anyone. If God is who he says he is, we do not, we not only need not to fear anyone, we need not fear any situation or circumstance God may allow us to be in. Because he has absolute rule. How do we know that? Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for, for good, for those who love him. He works all things together for good and for his glory. Absolute sovereignty. God tells you what he is doing in your life. But again, as I started out, our challenge is, is to maintain right thinking of God in our minds. We'll pick up verse 25 and 26 next week. But well, what are your thoughts about God? I challenge you to do this. Whenever difficulty come upon you this week, get a piece of paper out and write down what your thoughts are in that moment. How are you thinking in that moment? Are you anxious? Are you worried? Just write it down. I'm fearful. I'm anxious. And I would challenge you to take whatever you're struggling with. Don't leave it. Don't, don't leave what you're struggling with in your mind. Go to God's word. Take God's word and, yeah, this is how I may be feeling about my circumstance or situation. But here is what is true. This is what God says about himself. And if God says this about himself in his word, then what I'm feeling and dealing with, even though it is real, God is sovereign. He could change it. He can remove it. He can heal it. He can take whatever struggle you're dealing with, he could take it away. Like Paul's thorn in the flesh. But if he leaves it, he's still sovereign. And what he desires in that moment is that you may turn to the truth of him in his word. That's, that's up to us. We have to do that. God has already given us 
the truth. It is up to us to meditate upon the truth, to take it and 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 to say, you know what? I, rather than believe what I'm thinking, rather than believe what the world says, I'm going to believe what God said. The world may say that this is going home, personally. But what God said is this. I've had to do that. I've had the world come and try to tell me about God's creation, about a being that God created. Come and try to tell me this is what's going on in their life. And I was like, negative. This is what you say don't govern their lives. What God says governs their lives. Let God be true and man a liar. You see, you got it. You have. I mean, the world, they deceive you. It is so deceptive. It is so deceptive. And I tell you this from the bottom of my heart. Don't let the world deceive you. Don't let the world conform you and shape you. When the Bible tells you that God's testimony, God's own testimony, I am the Lord and there is no other. Don't let them tell you nothing that will distort your thinking about you, about the world, don't let them do it. Let us pray. Father, we we are so grateful that you have in your mercy that you have changed for those of us who are believers that you have brought about the new birth in our lives you've regenerated us you've changed our hearts you've taken out the, the stony heart and placed in a heart of flesh a heart that is sensitive to you a heart that desires you a heart that desires to love you and to love Christ and to know more about you and to know more about Christ. We thank you that you have wrought that change in our lives. Because we can be like the we you could have not you you could have not have extended mercy to us. We think about the ministry of Isaiah. You sent him and you told him to close open eyes. In a, in a sense, you gave Isaiah a ministry of hardening that the people's hearts would go grow even harder through the ministry of Isaiah. But then there are those, the elect, the chosen one, whom you would open their hearts to understand the truth. It would be those, the dry bones that you would make alive to live again. To, comp to comprehend the truth 
We are in that heritage. Thank you that you have opened, uh, that you have made us new creations in Christ so that we may know you, love you, enjoy you. You've changed our hearts. But it's up to us. It's up to each one of us as an individual to, to be responsible, to seek you. You've given, you've, you've given us yourself and your word. And you've given us the desire to know you. But it's up to us to act on that desire. We have to do it daily. We have to do it every minute, every second. Because this is you loving us. You love when you cause us to have to, to go to our knees, to, to, to the, the only place that we can go is to our knees. That's you loving us. It's an opportunity that you are giving us so that we may know you more deeply. It's the devil's lie that says to us, everything is going to be right in this world. It's the devil's lie that says to us, we can find happiness and peace in the world. That's the devil's lie. It is only in you and in Christ that we will find peace and joy. And so we thank you, Father, for opening our eyes and opening our ears and softening our hearts so that we may know you. Help us, help us to seek you and to know you better so that we can benefit, so that we can have joy and, 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 and peace and, 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 and that we can have hope in this world. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.